Welcome into the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. We are in the, the the lull here. We've got the kind of the low period where we're just going to enjoy the holidays before we get into the bowl games and before we get into, obviously, Ohio State's epic matchup against Clemson. But right now, you know, we're, we're kind of like we're, we got award season. We got worry about assistant coach season. We've got, <laughs> unfortunately, mediocre teams beating a good team basketball season. So we're going to talk about all of those things. And I want to start with the Heisman ceremony because even though it was a foregone conclusion and, you know, Joe Burrow goes out, Ohio boy from Athens wins the Heisman by the largest margin, I think, in, in Heisman history. He got the most amount of first place votes, highest margin of victory, most, you know, highest percentage of votes in general ever, beating Troy Smith's previous record. And I, and I like, you know, you look at what Joe Burrow put together this season, really inarguable that he was deserving of it. Um, but my favorite part of the night was his speech. It didn't feel very rehearsed. I think he was just speaking from the heart. He talked about where he was from and how much he owed people, particularly people from Ohio and, and including people from Ohio state. I just thought it was awesome. And, and I know, you know, we've got two Heisman finalists up there and they lump them together, right? They, they don't right. even give them separate interviews. But to me, it was a really special night. I'm glad Joe Burrow did this. I, I will tell you, Andy, that when we had him on the dubcast several years ago, I did not expect that guy to be standing on the Heisman stage. But but here we are. So what was your impression of, of Joe Burrow's Heisman win? Yeah, I, I loved the speech in particular. And, and you know, we, we talked about Chase Young's Heisman candidacy midway through the season. Sure. And I was, I was fully on board that freight train. There, there's no doubt in my mind that him – being off those two games, um, you know, ended that campaign. I'm, I'm yeah. tickled yeah. for him that he got the invite to New York. I think he's the only fourth defensive player ever to um, become a finalist. I think I think that's a testament. You know, that's one of those things that it feels like, all right, that's pretty much as good as you can hope for if you're a defensive player, sad but true. Um, certainly, I think if he'd played the full – you know, the, the full complement of games and continued on the pace he was up to that point. Uh, you know, it might have been a little closer, but Burrow, there's no question. You know, we, this award has become the, uh, as I've said more than once this, uh, this season, best quarterback on a national title contending team award. Sure. And this, they're, they're, this didn't do anything, but, but Burrow earned it. I mean, you can't, you know, if you go back and even compare him to quarterbacks over the past couple of years, it's, it's hard to say, um, that he hasn't had one of the best seasons at the position, um, you know, in, in recent memory. So um, I like the piece, by the way, that you had earlier this week on the the new normal for yeah, quarterbacks. Thank you. Uh, I thought that was a really great look because this position, I mean, how has this evolved um, going clear back? You went back to Don Unverfirth, but, uh, you know, I'm just thinking in, in the time since you and I were students uh, at Ohio State even, and you look at uh, Craig Krenzel winning a national title to today, what Ohio State <laughs> quarterbacks are asked to do, what what Joe Burrow is asked to do at LSU, I mean, very, very different right. um, game. So the other thing that I really want to say uh, about Burrow specifically, I realize I wandered down a squirrel, squirrel trail there. I love the shout-out to Southwest, Southeastern Ohio. You and I are both Southern Ohio boys, SOBs Unite. Um, and I love that he gave that shout-out to Southeast Ohio called um, out, you know, the poverty that's uh, two times the national average he mentioned in his speech. Uh, yeah. I was glad to say the the dispatch folks reported uh, earlier this week that since he shouted out the Athens County, uh, I think maybe it was a, 
a Facebook fundraiser for a local food pantry. They'd raised something like $210,000 as of Monday night for the Athens County Food Pantry, all because the Heisman Trophy winner yeah, gave him that shout out in his speech. I mean, talk about paying it forward, right? I mean, right. that's that's incredible. Use one of the biggest stages um, in college football to really make a difference. I, I love that. How can you not love that guy? Yeah, it's it, it was awesome. It was just a really cool thing to see. And, you know, you do take some Ohio pride in the fact that Joe Burrow is is up there and, and really kind of the toast of the entire, you know, college football world. And also the fact, I mean, look, if you're an Ohio State fan, I, I you know, maybe it's small uh, potatoes and maybe you don't take a ton of pride in this. But I still love the idea that you've got one guy that was recruited and played, you know, he played for us. He was on Ohio State's football team, right? You've got two other guys who are current members of Ohio State's football team. Like that to me just shows the health of the program and what's going on. Now, what we're going to talk about here in a second is how that's going to be maintained and, and some of the difficulties that Ryan Day is going to face. But just for that night, it, to me, it was almost a celebration of Ohio and Ohio State football. And I know it didn't feel that way because you've got an LSU quarterback winning the award. But to me, it was just really fun to watch. I enjoyed watching it because of what it meant for not just the state of Ohio, but Ohio State fans in particular, because it really does show how really lucky we are to be able to be fans in this current era of Ohio State sports. And to your point, by the way, about the evolution of of quarterbacking, this is something that I, I pointed out in the piece. You know, Troy Smith comes out, wins the Heisman, again, previously by the largest margin of victory in, in Heisman Award history. You know, Troy Smith had like 2,500 yards passing that yeah. season, which is good. Yeah. It's, it's good. But, you know, honestly, if if Justin Fields comes out and throws for 2,500 yards, that's a step backwards right. from what he did this season. And, you know, to me, it is so amazing to watch how much college football has changed just within the past 10 or 15 years to the point where, you know, you're looking at 5,000 yard seasons being the norm where previously, as I mentioned, you know, that was the realm of the Hawaii's right. Where you would see a guy from Hawaii, you see Timmy Chang from Hawaii, you know, throw for 5,000. Okay. That's just a cute gimmick offense. Or maybe Mike Leach who never runs the football ever, but now it's, it's, it seems like it's just part of the game. And some people may bemoan that. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be honest. I love the three yards in a cloud of dust. I like seeing the eye formation from time to time. But it's to me, it's just really cool to see that that change, and it's not gimmicky. It it just shows the talent of these players, and I mean, look, Joe Burrow put it on Justin Fields and said, "Look, you're next, buddy. You, you're coming up. You got to do this." And I think he's fully capable of it. I think Justin Fields is capable of doing those same kind of mind bending things that we saw from Joe Burrow this season. So if those are the expectations, I think that's insane, but also incredibly logical. Which it, the the I don't know. I to me, I feel like I shouldn't be expecting uh, Justin Fields to come out and throw for forty five hundred yards. But on the other hand, if you look at the stats and you look at his potential and the way college football is progressing, he should do that. And that's a crazy thing to say. Yeah, I, I look and say Fields. On one hand, I kind of feel for him that the the pressure next season, it, it, pressure maybe is the wrong word, expectations next season for him are ratcheted up this yeah, season he had the yeah this season he had the the luxury if you will of, of sort of being the unknown like you know first year the first year Buckeye he's not um you know not not a true rookie to the game by any stretch uh but 
new program, new system, new environment, all those kind of things. None of that's true next year, right? You've you've had a right. year in the system and had a Heisman finalist worthy season. So the expectations get raised up a notch. You're probably talking over under 4,000 yards passing, um, you know, and, and it's going to be so hard to match his unbelievable efficiency this season. That's the other right. thing. Um, you know, completion rate was fine, but that, that touchdown to interception ratio is, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's like that's sort of absurd. the stuff. Yeah. Really I mean, Dwayne Haskins a year ago recorded one of the best, as you noted in the, uh, in the article, one of the best seasons um, statistically in, in history he threw 50 touchdowns to eight picks. I mean, that, you know, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty great. But, <laughs> you know, Fields is how many to one? I mean, that 40 to one. And, and here's the thing. That one was just a fluke trick play at the end of the half, I think, right. where it was just, you know, nobody really expected anybody to to come down with it. It was just a goofy thing. So barring that, I mean, he's thrown no interceptions, essentially, in the entire season. Yeah, uh, That's absurd. Like, completely absurd. Now, I want to I want to throw... I want to throw a ridiculous hypothetical at you. Okay. Can can you imagine how much more efficient a JT Barrett would have been with the wide receivers coaching that uh, yeah. the, the wide receivers are getting now? I mean, yeah, no, this is nothing. No, no sweat off Justin Fields. That that cat's incredible. But his wide receivers have made him look even better than he maybe is because they've made some plays. I mean, I just think about. Right. Some of the some of the catches we've seen and and uh, just the route run. I mean, everything in the wide receiver room has gone up to eleven. It feels like over the last yeah. uh, well, since Brian Hartline got the the reins officially. Right. Um, I just I'm like man alive. It's what a time to be alive. Well, the thing is, is that he, you know, and you talk about expectations for Justin Fields. One area where he is going to have to kind of prove himself a little bit is you're not going to have a guy who should have been, I believe, on the Heisman finalist stage and J.K. Dobbins, you're not going to have that safety net. I mean, some people are like, oh, wait, but J.K., no, he's not coming back. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. He's off the NFL. I, I I feel very comfortable in saying that right now. Uh, he's going to maximize his earning potential, as he should. But without that safety net, I mean, you really got to hope that um, guys like Master T can come in and, and be that same consistent threat because that's another thing that really helped him out is getting those linebackers and safeties to kind of inch a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage because they're afraid of what J.K. Dobbins is going to do if they don't um, try to hit him early. So, you know, he's got some things to prove, and obviously there's the chance that you're going to get in there in the second year and people figure out a little bit and you've got to make adjustments and maybe your year doesn't go as great. But just in terms of talent and what he's been able to accomplish and the fact that you, you know, hopefully keep Brian Hartline, uh, for the foreseeable future, because clearly that dude has transformed the wide receiver core. Um, you can expect that success to continue. Now, what I want to seg into then is the loss of Jeff Halfley um, to Boston College, which, you know, again, what a boss way to end his introductory thing where he's like, all right, I got a national championship to go in, right? Like the, if there were any concerns about this guy not being locked in or being, you know, every bit the badass that we have pumped him up to be i think he kind of put into all that doubt but i don't know are you how are you feeling about this are you are you upset that he didn't give ryan day the cursory two-year guarantee or are you just kind of like this is how college football coaching kind of works now yeah and i don't know if i and and maybe this has been written and i and i just haven't seen it yet if if ryan day has officially adopted the two-year 
policy um, that, that Urban Meyer did. Uh, do you think he has the gravitas to do that? Because to me, a lot of time, I, you know, I don't think that was just some gentleman's agreement between Urban Meyer and his coaching staff. <laughs> right. I think Urban Meyer was able to enforce that because he was Urban Meyer. Well, I don't know and, that Ryan Day yeah. has the ability to do that. And, and that's one of those, you're, you're right. So the, the opportunity to coach with Urban Meyer, obviously that's a huge calling card, right? His right, coaching exactly. tree, his coaching tree is pretty impressive um, up and down in, in any number of people. But uh, well, the fact that Urban Meyer's become the John Gruden of, of uh, the modern era here, you know, because every coaching opening in NFL and college, it seems like uh, is somehow <laughs> right. magically linked to Urban Meyer as a candidate. Uh, so that's a great point. Um, so part of me would have said Ohio State compels that. You know, if Ohio, if Ryan Day said it's two years, you're going to want to come coach at Ohio State anyway because it's Ohio State. But yeah, maybe that is something that Day, at his first stop as a head coach, isn't ready to say this is the way it's going to be. Right. Uh, the flip side of that is I liked what Day said um, earlier in the week that. We're we're gonna we're gonna get the best coaches in America um, on this yeah. team, which is you know is coach speak, but I I guess I take him at his word because that's the standard at Ohio State. His quote, I think, in specific was something like, "You can go hire somebody's going to be here for seven or eight years, or you go hire the best in the country because if they're that good, they're going to have a shot at a coordinator or better position on down the line." And I get that. That's you know, part of my frustration with Urban Meyer over the years was that there were these great coaches that came in. He always seemed to be able to hire the best. And that when they left, that was when, you know, the, some of the second and third hires uh, got a little questionable that we weren't we weren't hiring right. the, the best in America anymore. We were hiring the, the you know, well, we're hiring the best, best man, at the, the, the best man and uh, best friends and, and so on and so forth. So with, with, if they can knock this one out of the park then, you know, maybe he can enforce that. Or maybe he just says, hey, you know, guys are going to leave, they're going to leave. Yeah, well, that's what I worry about, though, because Urban Meyer, you know, granted, yes, you're going to get some some best men at your wedding hires and occasionally, but I do worry about the fact that Ryan Day, being as young as he is, doesn't have the kind of coaching tree that Urban Meyer can pull from. He doesn't have the kind of name recognition that coaches are like, I got to play for this guy. You know, it, I mean, let me put it this way. If if someone is going like, okay, I'm an up-and-coming young coach. There's a DC position open. Could I, you know, could I coach for Nick Saban or Ryan Day? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that the name recognition of Ryan Day is going to put him over some of these other elite programs. Now, with that said, you know, if you're in a situation where you can go to one of those elite programs, you're going to have more of an opportunity to get to Ohio State than a place like Clemson, right? What Venables is that you know, locked down forever until he dies. But um, I don't know. I just, I guess I worry a little bit about which people are going to be attracted to Ohio state, because I think as far as coaches go, it's not like, it's not like you're recruiting players. You know what I mean? You're recruiting yeah. coaches and coaches want to go to a place where the head coach of that team is well-established can give them their bona fides. And honestly, you want guaranteed wins because no matter what you do in that position, you'll look good. Right. right. So if, I think the worry is, is that you've had this great, amazing season under the first year of Ryan Day, and then people go, okay, but how is he going to prove it in year two, three, four, five, and six, right? Mm -hmm. Is this going to be a Helfrich situation at Oregon where you mm -hmm. look really great for a couple mm -hmm. seasons, and then the recruiting starts to go down a little bit, the coaching starts to go down a little bit, and then suddenly a once venerated program is now like, you know, giving us six and six seasons or seven and five or eight and four or whatever seasons. 
I don't think that's going to happen at Ohio State, but my point is is that to attract those coaches, they got to believe that that's not going to happen, that Ryan Day is going to be able to maintain that for multiple seasons so that those incoming coaches feel comfortable enough to say, okay, this is what's going to help me establish my bona fides, and I don't have to worry about basically supporting a program that's starting to decline. You, we're not going to know that for a few seasons, um, and I don't think that'll happen. I think Ryan Day is the real deal, and he knows what he's doing, but you never know, man. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's difficult because we liked Halfley so much because he was such a badass from day one. He's so great at talking to the media, clearly a great coach. Um, I don't begrudge him the opportunity, but I do worry a little bit about how they're going to replace people. So well, there was a, I think there was a really interesting comment and I think it was, uh, I think it was Sean Wade's dad on Twitter pointed out something that, you know, they've had four different position coaches in four years or something along those lines. Yeah, exactly. That's he he connected, he connected it back to your, uh, uh, one of your favorite topics is, is, uh, you know, player mobility and compensation and, and so on. And, uh, the, the fact that coaches can, Oh, right. Yeah. Take off at the drop of a hat with no repercussions and go make more money somewhere else while uh, now Ohio State did okay in the transfer market this season. But there are any number of stories of kids that uh, didn't get blessed with uh, the waiver ferry and, uh, you know, were stuck wherever it was they they wanted to move away from and don't have that flexibility. And isn't that, uh, you know, isn't that a bit of uh, hypocrisy that, you know, the coaches can come and go in essence as they please for multi-million dollar salaries and the the student athletes that... Well, I, as you're saying, it's funny too because you know nobody begrudges these coaches for doing that either. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like nobody's like, oh, friggin' Halfley, piece of crap! I can't believe you'd leave Ohio State. But if a student, if you know, if a student athlete does that, people look at the kid and go, oh god, fake Buckeye! I can't believe it. Now, yeah. granted, Joe Burrow, I think, was in a bit of a di- different situation because obviously he wasn't going to start and he was a good player, and I think most Ohio State fans acknowledge that. But it just cracks me up that we will give so much leeway to a guy to just dip after a year and make millions of dollars. Whereas with a student does that, we're like, oh, what are emot- what is his motivations? I don't know if this kid's tough enough. Burp, 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 burp. Yeah, just, my my frustration out. with halfway, I think, you know, what would be is, is Boston college a good enough program for you to bolt after a year? Now, if he'd, you know, if he'd left to go to Rutgers as an example, um, you know, you just said, Wow, that's a terrible choice. Why would you leave yeah. a co-coordinator wow. position at Ohio State to go to Rutgers? <laughs> I'm, I'm giving Shiano the benefit of, you know, that's, there's a reason for him to go there. But anybody else, you know, Chris sure. Ash, Chris Ash, right? Great example. What's Chris Ash have to show for his bolt to Rutgers? S- several million dollars in the bank. I mean, that's it, right? So otherwise, right. he's going back to coordinator land. Yeah. And, and have to take another shot at a head coaching position somewhere else or... You know, uh, I mean, Ohio State's been doing that for several years now. The uh, the Urban Meyer School for Rehabilitated Former Head Coaches, right? You you go to a program and you don't quite make it, and then you go back to being a coordinator somewhere else because you're good at that. So that yeah. that's my question for Halfley, I guess, is is Boston College good enough? Um, and obviously, he thought it was. You know, so there's a lot of different reasons you go take a job. Okay. It's the shot at being a head coach. That's what they all want to do uh, eventually is be a head coach. It's, it's the money. Certainly that's a big deal. Uh, okay. Boston, not a terrible place to live. That's a, one of America's great cities. Fine. Okay. Does Boston college have the tradition, the infrastructure, the money, all those kind of things. Yeah. You know, your mileage may vary. Um, that, right. That, that's what I always wonder is like, could you have waited another year 
And maybe he looked and said, I don't think any better P5 programs are going to come open next year. I might as well shoot my shot now. Right. And maybe it is a situation where you feel that you have an idea for a system. You've got something that you really want to do. You want to put your stamp on a program in a certain way and you don't care where you do it. You know what I mean? Like there are a lot of coaches who I believe have a very distinct philosophy of what they want a team to look like. And they don't care where it's at. As long as it's, you know, a relatively well-known place like Boston college, which isn't an incredible job, but it's a job. People know the school. Yeah. I, I think a lot of them are just motivated by the idea that they want to put their stamp on a program and say, this is mine. This is what a Jeff Halfley team looks like. This is what a Ryan day team looks like. And honestly, if right, I mean, look, if Ryan day hadn't gotten the opportunity to head, be the head coach of Ohio state, he would have done a similar move. He would have dipped and, and said, look, I'm going to show you what Ryan day can do right. with the football team. Um, now, Again, I look, I agree with you. I, I think a big part of the consideration should be what kind of resources you're going to get and facilities and things like that. Uh, Boston College to me is fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that's enough for a guy like Jeff Halfley. I think he, he kind of uh, will be okay there. Um, I'm also fascinated, and I'm curious how you feel about this. You look at a guy like Luke Fickle, who obviously, I mean, I don't think I think sometimes as Ohio State fans, we look at what Luke Fickle did in 2011 and go, well, you know, he's still kind of recovering from that. And I will tell you something, as someone who watched that up close, really, a lot of the time, because I went to practices, um, I reported on like media days and stuff like that. I went to games and was the beat writer, quote unquote, before we had a beat writer a couple games that year. You can tell, you could really tell that the 2011 Ohio state football team. I mean, that was not anything on Luke fickle. That guy was thrust in a completely unwinnable situation and was just doing the best to keep his head above water. So I don't think Luke fickle in 2011 is anything has any bearance on uh, or bearing on what Luke fickle Cincinnati Bearcats head coach. But my question to you is what do you think should, is Luke fickle the kind of guy who you would expect to take a step to another big program? Or do you think he's kind of content to have that Boston College, Cincinnati type job and just be that coach? Well, you know, the thing I, I often wonder about too, um, I, I look at a coach like, let's let's use Larry Johnson as an example. Right. Larry Johnson is undisputedly one of the best, if not the best coach in the business at the position he coaches. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, not the proof is in not the a defensive lineman unimpeachable kick yes yeah, if he's awesome. not number one at the craft i'm i mean tell me who is but right he's been two schools for you know 100 years <laughs> right. um and and has built this legacy as being the 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 godfather of all godfathers at that position so if you look at head coaching this has really changed go back to bear bryant go back to woody hayes go back to bobby bowden go, you know to take your pick you, you have these coaches who, and we were kind of chuckling about this among the, the members of the staff when that ridiculous ESPN listicle came out uh, there a week or so ago about the top oh, God, how many ever coaches of all time and Urban Myers, the number 46 LOL. Right. Um, but the, the number one criteria, I think you might've even been the one that pointed out just was longevity. You know, the, the people that were at the top of that list were the people that, who had been coaching the longest and most of them at, at a single school. So there's something to be said for you know what, I'm going to make Cincinnati the best it can be. And I'm going to be here forever. And my family likes it here. And, you know, whatever other reasons you might have, you know, I have good rapport with the AD. Uh, we're making improvements to the facilities, what, whatever it happens to be. I think there's something to be said for that, as opposed to saying, hey, 
Um, I've been here three seasons. We've uh, won our conference now. We've had, um, you know, uh, back-to-back 10-plus win seasons. It's time to cash in my chips and make a move to insert Big Ten school here. Insert. Right. I mean, there's there's a part of me that says Luke Fickle is destined to replace Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, <laughs> right? Like, it's just one of those things that feels like it makes sense. Sure. But but does it? But, but does it? I, I don't know. I don't know how to read Fickle. I mean, he's an Ohio guy, right? So part of me says he stays here forever. They have like 27 kids, right? So yeah, you know, I think, home- I think sometimes we underestimate just, you know, how people feel about where they're at. You know what I mean? If you're yeah. a coach and you're making millions of dollars, you're successful where you're at. I, I think for some guys that's enough. And you know, it's, it may be confusing when you look at the rest of college football and you see how cutthroat everything is and how quickly people move on from one thing to the next, you know, all right, well, I was at school A for a season, then we won 10 games, and so now I'm at school B, and then we won six games, so now I'm at school D because it wasn't as good as school C because I couldn't get that job anymore. And mm-hmm. it's just things change so fast. And I do think there are people like Luke Fickle and, and you know, you can even say Larry Johnson who are content with kind of doing what they do and being really good at it. And I will say that there are definitely people on the staff who, I mean – it's not like Ryan Day's staff is just leaving en masse and everybody is just, you know, like rats fleeing the ship and Ohio State's going to be terrible next year. I don't, that's obviously not happening. And when you've got a guy like Al Washington, who Day intimated is going to be around for a while, which is nice because I think he's an excellent coach as well. Um, and of course, you've got Madison, who's, I mean, that dude ain't going anywhere. Right. <laughs> this is pretty sure this is his last stop. Uh, same with Johnson, you know, you've got a solid staff. You just got to make sure that when you have a departure of somebody who's really, really good, like Halfley, you're able to, you know, replace that guy. And also, and Jones, you know, said this, Kyle said this in, uh, in, in our Slack chat, you know, let's, let's be clear about this. Halfley was the co-defensive coordinator. He was not solely responsible for how the defense was playing. So, I, I mean, we kind of feel that way because he's the, you know, he's the most visible guy and he, he does really great things with the media and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he is not solely responsible for the defense playing as well as it did this past season. And I think that's important to, to remember. So, you know, it, it sucks that he's going, I, it was inevitable, but it sucks that it was this soon. And I can understand people being a little salty about it, but right. you know, when an opportunity comes and you think it's a good fit and you can make millions of dollars, then it's kind of hard to get upset with somebody who might. Well, and I mean, that's the big, that. that's the big reason, right? Like what, what's, what's the big reason to take the leap from, you know, co DC to head coach, uh, $2.4 million. That's right. the big reason. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's about what, um, uh, Adazio was making. You know, he was, I guess 2.6, you know, Luke Fickle's going to make 2.4 base salary, um, I think is his current contract set to, I think he's making maybe 2.3 something now as a base that, but there's the other big reason, you know, I'm, we we're talking about does Luke fickle stay at Cincinnati or to go somewhere else. The lowest paid, uh, head coach in the big 10, according to USA today's salary database, um, Tom Allen in Indiana at about 1.8, 1.8 million dollars base compensation. I guess his total comp is about three and a half, right. but you know, Chris Ash at Rutgers was at 2.3, 2.5 at Maryland. And then everyone else in the Big Ten was three and a half million and above. And that's just base, you know, their base salary, not their not their total comp. So I mean, there's some real adult money on the table there. Um Yeah, and you can't you can't blame people for going after that. I mean, you really, you know, sometimes you really just get one opportunity to to do that and you kind of gotta try for it when it comes across your, you know, your 
the plate. So that's why I don't. That's why I don't get jacked up. I used to be one of these guys. I mean, when I was younger, like when I was in college watching games, that always hated to see guys go to the NFL early. You know, because right. you should stay and play your four years at Ohio State and get your degree and blah 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 blah. And and Greg Oden was the guy who really changed my mind about that because I looked and said, you know what, that cat never had the NBA career he should have. Uh, and so that, that first contract, that was it, right. You know, so yeah. you got to go and shoot your shot and these NFL first round contracts in particular are, are so great now that, Hey, Chase Young, you know, if you go out there and you know, you, you fall off the roof of your house, uh, nailing down some shingles, you've, you, you've at least got that first contract, right. Or you right. go out and you're a total bust. You've at least got that first contract. Uh, so I, I, I get it. And the coach, the coaching thing. Yeah. If you're only ever going to get a shot to be head coach one time, at least you cash that two and a half million dollar check at Rush, Rutgers for two or three seasons there, Chris Ash, you know, like that's, that's better than a sharp stick in the eye. Right. Exactly. And so it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where just opportunity, talent, all those things intersect and we dissected endlessly, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you know, you feel good for Halfley. And again, as I said, at the beginning of this, I am excited <laughs> about the fact that this guy still seems super locked in and, you know, ready to help Ohio state win a national championship. So that's pretty kick-ass too. Um, another team that's doing pretty well, but maybe not super great as of late, uh, extremely late is Ohio state men's basketball, which had been on a roll kicking the crap out of these top 25 teams, top 10 teams, top five teams, uh, and then goes on the road as I think every other big 10 team has, uh, in conference play. And lost. They lost to Minnesota. They lost to a four and five team uh, by thirteen points, and they didn't look very good. Now, again, they're they're at, they're without Dwayne Washington, who is their second leading scorer and a guy who's obviously been a really huge part of that offense, uh, particularly from three. And they just they didn't look good. I mean, they looked bad. I mean, they were bad from three. Obviously, that did not help. I think seven for twenty, something like that. It's not going to help you win a game when you know you're just not getting buckets that easily. But defensively, they looked a little lost. And this is one of the things that I worried about at the beginning of the season, which was that uh, Caleb wouldn't be matched against a guy who was a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and just get bullied. And, and I think that's really what happened there. I, I just don't think he was able to um, to keep up. And, of course, you've got a guy like Carr from Minnesota dropping 35 spots on you. Like, you know, so I don't know. It, to me, I don't think this game was necessarily indicative of – how the rest of the season is going to go. But I also started to think that maybe, you know, maybe Chris Holtman had a point when he was saying, eh, maybe this team isn't quite as good as you guys are hyping us up to be. Yeah. I, I love Chris Holtman and and that kind of, you know, slow your roll uh, <laughs> right. uh, mentality, you know, is, was, was okay. I, I think that's all right. Uh, that the, the prag, pragmatism, you know, not, not having Dwayne Washington jr. In the game, certainly, you know, affected the team's mojo a little bit. I think it, maybe mucked up spacing a little bit for some of their sets. Um, yeah. Shooting, shooting was a real thing. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about this. I love the graphic that was going around the Twitter that had uh, big 10 conference standings and literally everyone in the conference is one and one with the exception of the two teams that play Wednesday night in Michigan state and Northwestern Michigan state one and oh in the conference and Northwestern oh and one. So if, <laughs> Northwestern if, put all your money on Northwestern right now. Get it, Wildcats. Let's, let's keep this thing. Uh, let's keep this thing even, Stevens. After the first right. round, everybody gets a everybody gets a mulligan, and uh, we'll <laughs> we'll load them and shoot them again. So I I'm not super worried about it. Uh, just 
conference play in the Big Ten. You know, I still think Ohio State's one of the big one of the big dogs in the country. And, you know, Ken Palm still has them at number one after getting, um, you know, handled handily by the Golden Gophers. So, you know, uh, the stats still seem to like the Buckeyes. And this is a year where I think you can have, a, a, you know, a game like that on the road because, you know, we, we saw North Carolina isn't what it used to be. Um, we know the Buckeyes have matched up pretty well against Louisville uh, in, you know, unsanctioned, right. unofficial scrimmage play. Question to me is how do they how do they shape up against Michigan State? I still think Michigan State's kind of the class of the Big Ten at this stage. And uh, if they look okay there, hey, let's maybe have us uh, let's maybe have us a season here. Well, and Ohio State obviously is going to have some chances coming up here to prove their medal a little bit and, and bounce back. And, and hopefully Dwayne is is back and, and ready to, to play relatively soon here. But, you know, you've got games against, you know, West Virginia and Kentucky, and you win those games, you kind of prove that this is a one-off kind of deal. You lose those games, I think people's yeah. expectations are going to have to kind of reset a little bit, which is fine. I mean, this is a really young team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have some physical deficiencies that I think were exposed a little bit against Minnesota. Um you know, I look, I, I still think this is a really good team. I don't know that they're necessarily a Final Four team. They could be if, if they continue looking how they've looked through, let's say, you know, middle of February or something like that. Then, yeah, I'm going to have to change it. But ultimately, I am just really excited to watch how this team grows and progresses, regardless of what they end up doing in March, because it's just exciting. And it, it's fun to watch Chris Holtman have his team. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. really, truly feels like a Chris Holtman team. And, and how he wants his team to look in terms of personnel, what they do on the floor, all that kind of stuff. This is truly his. And honestly, it's fun basketball. It's just really fun basketball to watch. And I, I you know, you're going to have stinkers like that. You're going to lose some dumb games. But, you know, I, I just think what he's been able to do overall is just impressive and entertaining, which again, like, that to me is the most essential element to this because even though Thad Mata was still winning 20, 25 games toward the end of his tenure, holy hell, I didn't want to watch any of those games. Well, I mean, my my, com- my complaint about you know the, those last several seasons, we kept beating the drum for for Mata's string of of twenty win seasons. And don't get me wrong, yes, that that was a big deal, and and I have nothing but love and, and respect for Coach Mata and what he did for the program. However, comma my yeah. quibble about modest schedule those years yeah. <laughs> like they were set up specifically to get you to 20 wins because you right. played this all you know the non-conference schedule was going to get you more than halfway there you only had to really go 500 in conference yeah to get and he did and he to 20 did. wins right right yeah. right more often than not so like i always when people would make a big deal about that i was like yeah 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 but uh it, it right. wasn't maybe as impressive as it sounded still a big deal Still a big deal, but you know, like yeah, the scheduling was definitely not there, and I, I'm with and, you. And on this that. season, definitely a much different. You know, Holtman's taking a much different approach. You know, to scheduling, and that's part of uh, part of why I think this team is so fun because they're clearly not afraid to yeah. go and and play the best in the sport, and I, I yeah. love that. And I think that's that that mentality that Chris Holtman brings to Ohio state from his previous coaching stops. You know what I mean? Because when you're at like a place like Butler or something like that, you've got to basically, you have to do that. 
right? You're not going to mm-hmm. get national attention on your own. You're not going to get people going like, oh yeah, let's, let's go take a visit there, you know, because it's not, it's not nationally known. You don't have other programs that you can kind of like say, Hey, yeah, we're here too. You know, this is their success. It's our success. It's everybody's success. You can't do that. So you've got to come out and you've got to kick ass in the NCAA tournament and you've got to schedule really good out of conference opponents. And I'm really glad that he's brought the mentality to Ohio state because I don't care that Ohio state is Ohio state and has this, you know, all world football team and this incredibly, you know, nationally renowned college and blah, blah, blah. I love the fact. And I think Ohio state fans appreciate this too, just in general, that Chris Holtman brings this scrappy underdog mentality. Like, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to scrap, we're going to fight. And this is how this team plays. And this is our scheduling mentality and all this other stuff. And I really think that appeals to Ohio state fans. I don't think we're comfortable being the top dog. I don't think we're comfortable, like kind of just, you know, being this team that sits on a golden throne and, and is expected to win all the time. We do much better when we're the underdog and when nobody, you know, thinks that we're going to accomplish anything and, and that we're just disrespected. Uh, I think, I think that's kind of our, our lane. And Chris Holtman's a guy who fits very nicely into that. So you lose the Minnesota on the road. You got to go prove stuff now. And I'm sure Chris Holtman is like, yes, this is manna from heaven. We got this break coming up. This is going to help me motivate. I'm, I'm not sure he was super broken up about that game. Um, and, and nor should Ohio state fans be, frankly, I, yeah. I think it, you know, it sucks. It's, you don't want to see a team lose, but if it provides motivation to go ahead and, you know, kick some butt, um, you know, later on in the season, I, I think that, uh, that's, it's good. It's, it, it's all good. It's all in good. The, in the old saying, I mean, go, you know, it's, and it's true, you know, going undefeated is incredibly difficult. Like that's, that's a thing, you know, and it's, uh, you know, whether we're talking about the NFL, the, uh, NCAA football, NCAA basketball, you know, so your chances are you're going to drop one eventually. And this, you know, isn't the worst one they could have dropped. Yeah. So you just don't want to hey, make it a trend, but you know, right. I, I don't make it, ha- don't make a habit of it guys, but, right. uh, but you're, yeah, I don't think anybody ought to be freaking out about this one. The, the big question to me back to our Jeff Halfley discussion is, What's the over under on how long Chris Holtman is head coach at Ohio State? Is he a lifer or, Ooh, or two or three years down the road? Is some big program going to come open and bigger well, program, I, don't, I should say? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I really don't think you can be tempted away from anything other than something like Kentucky or Duke or something along those lines. And for him to be hired for those positions, you got to do some really good stuff with Ohio state first, I think, because there's a lot of other guys. I mean, we forget it's not like there is a lack of coaching talent and, and college basketball, right? There are a lot of these kind of like, you know, higher B tier programs with some really good coaches that would get looks from places like UNC or Duke or whoever, if they came knocking. Um, So, you know, First of all, I think Chris Holman really has to prove something with Ohio State and the NCAA tournament before he's going to really be dealing with those kind of questions. And then secondly, I don't even know if college would be his move. I mean, maybe he would be an, you know, an, an NBA guy. I don't really know. I, I think it's interesting, though, that you look at a guy like Beeline, right, who's in uh, the NBA and coaching the Cavs. Um, you know, he had to establish those bona fides at Michigan over the course of well over a decade, Long time. several like national championship games, final fours. And then people are like, Oh, maybe this guy can coach a little, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to really achieve some lofty heights. I think as a college basketball coach before you get those kind of looks. And I don't, you know, as much as I love Chris Holman, I just don't think he's done that yet. I, I think he really needs to take Ohio state to, 
you know, a final four or a national championship game for people to really start thinking of him as a legitimate heir apparent to Shashevsky or something like that. And and it's not like coach Beeline's got it all roses and posies now no. that he's uh, made it to the no. NBA either. It's Oh uh, my God. No. And, and yeah. you know, and you, it can happen, right? Like we've seen it happen, um, you know, with the, the Celtics and whatnot, but uh, with Brad Stevens, but um, it's not a yeah. given by any stretch no, of the imagination. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, so that's those are the topics du jour. But we do got to get to ask us anything before we do that. Please make sure to check out the, our dry goods store, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Let's do some ask us anything. You can ask us anything by sending us emails to dubcast at 11warriors.com. That's D U B C A S T at 11warriors.com. Or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. This first question comes from Jackie. Jackie says, uh, Andy's colloquialisms and folksy sayings makes the city dwelling country girl feel right at home. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. My favorites from the past two pods have been quote, if the dog's going to bite, he'll nip as a pup. Well, that's and, a John Cooper one. I got to give credit to Cooper on that one. Fair enough, but you say it so well. <laughs> uh, and quote, it's not rocket surgery. And then she had another one. Quote, been around since Christ was quarterback. What's each of your <laughs> what's each of your favorites folksy phrase or bit of backwoods wisdom? My I'll start great. with you, Andy. You're a yeah. little look, I'm from Middletown. I can't I can't claim to be a quote unquote country boy. <laughs> Middletown's about 45, 50,000 people when I was living there. So we're not yeah. it's not super tiny or anything like that. My um, my grandmother, grandma Vance, I, I have to say was probably the most incredible woman I've ever known. And that, yeah. that's, that's no slight to my mother who, who I love dearly. Um, grandma Wilma. So grandma uh, was on the farm where, where I grew up pretty much her entire adult life. And you know, my, my granddad passed in 85 uh, gone, gone before his time. And grandma lived there and ran that farm for 30 years. Wow. Uh, after he passed, you know, by herself. And uh, I, she was a school bus driver. And so I rode her school bus. And so I spent, quite a lot of time with grandma every day uh, b- between farm work and being on the school bus and so on. And so I just accumulated, you know, a oh, life. Sure. You probably are reams of it. And they're, they're all things that I picked up from her. And some of them, you know, I didn't understand. Like she used to have one, she'd say something like, uh, so, uh, talking about the weather. Okay. It's cold in Columbus today. Grandma would say something like, Oh, it's colder than Billy be damned outside. I don't know who Billy be damned was, <laughs> but apparently he was one cold SOB because grandma would always just so there were little things like that all the time that I find, and it's not intentional. They're just things that have accumulated in, in my cerebral cortex over the years. And occasionally they just stumble out into my <laughs> daily communication. I'm glad Jackie, that you enjoyed them. And it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside that somebody notices my, yeah, that's fantastic. It's just, just I, part I really of who appreciate I that question. <laughs> um, I will tell you, so I, you know, my grandmother is from uh, rural Kentucky, as was my grandfather and whatnot, but they didn't really have like folksy wisdom necessarily. It was more like, you know, like one of the stories that I love to tell about my grandmother is uh, my sister and I would stay over at their house frequently when we were kids, um, just because my parents worked a lot and whatnot. So we hang out with my grandparents and my grandma would make homemade um uh, homemade fries and fried chicken all the time. And uh, they also had a garden in the back and they would always, you know, cut off some tomatoes or cucumbers. And I love cucumbers. I still love cucumbers, but yeah. I love cucumbers when I was a kid. 
and you know put a little salt on it and just eat it and whatever and um i just remember i would go over there and i would just be horking down this cucumber and my grandma would slap my hand be like stop it you gotta eat your good food and then she'd push my you know fried chicken towards me and stuff so i enjoyed that <laughs> but the the folksy bit of advice that i have this actually comes from my high school government teacher a guy named mr jester and first of all a couple things about mr jester first of all great great uh teacher really really great teacher really enjoyed being a student um, but also probably the most inappropriately, inappropriately named human being of all time. He was the most humorless person you'll ever meet in your entire life. <laughs> he was, did never crack a smile, just super stern, taciturn, great mind, really great teacher, not a fu- like a fun person. Um, in fact, he actually, what's, what's really hilarious is that he taught my mom. Um, my mom, um, you know, she had me when she was 34 and Mr. Jester is in her yearbook as her government teacher oh, and looks exactly the same as he did when he was my teacher, which I think is pretty fantastic. That, that is um, great. And that's so an anyway, all-world this... kind of name there, Mr. Oh, yeah, Jester. I love that. <laughs> so uh, we're in government class, and there's this one kid who's just challenging him on everything. You know, everything he says, he's got some kind of alternative thing and just really being a pain in the butt. And, you know, Mr. Jester's taking it with his usual kind of Eeyore, like, all right, okay, fine. And then just ignoring the kid. And one of my friends in the class said, Mr. Jester, can you just like make him stop talking? Can you just tell him to shut up? And Mr. Jester said, you know, you can hit some people right in the face with a pie and they'll look you right in the eye and tell you that you missed. <laughs> and I have never forgotten that because it is 100% true. They're just something, they're just some people you can't talk to. You can't, you know, you just got to deal with it. And you can make them look as dumb or as foolish as you want to, and whatever. It's not going to matter. It's just oh, not going to. They're good. I love so you just got to deal with it. So that's that's my favorite piece of wisdom. I try to share that with as many people as I can. And Jackie, that is an excellent question. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Love it. Uh, okay, this next one here. This is from uh, our good friend Jimmy. Jimmy wants to know what is the best book that you read in 2019? Is there a book that you are looking forward to reading that you haven't gotten to yet? Uh, so books, I would say books. So I'm, and I may have mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago, but I'm, I'm in the midst and maybe kind of in the fourth quarter now of a book series by an author named Robert Jordan called, uh, the wheel of time. And it's like a 14 book series. You have very game of Thrones in terms of scope. Like it's an epic series, you know, very Tolkien, um, you know, George R. R. Martin in scope, not not necessarily stylistically, although it is, you know, sort of the high fantasy genre. Uh, and I would just say it has been one of the most enjoyable series, very, diff- you know, when you're talking about the, the page turner, you know, like couldn't put it down. Um, this is that kind of series, which is a challenge because it's 14 books and each book is... Right massive um you know like uh, oxford dictionary kind of thickness um so that's a that's a challenge but i really love the series uh and and if you're into high fantasy or or just even a good story you know fiction good story this um series is is right up there book i'm looking forward to reading and and i kind of feel bad about this i i actually at the library the other day um, we live about 100 yards from our public library. And so we go there quite frequently because the stunning Mrs. Vance and I and our um, six-year-old daughter all very much enjoy reading. And so we go to the library quite often. And I had picked up um, War and Peace of all things because as many books as I have read, I have never tackled that Leviathan and thought I'm going to give this a try. 
And because I was caught up in this Jordan series and I didn't want to stop in between books to take on, you know, something unrelated, I had to take right. it back to the library. <laughs> library said, <sitting there>, <laughs> like, um, somebody else wants war and peace, which it I was, was kind of like, gay. Oh, somebody else wants war and peace. That's really interesting. And so I had to take it back. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to pick that up sometime in 2020 and actually read it finally my wife says it's the dumbest thing she's ever heard of that that's not a goal i should have however comma <laughs> i'm i'm gonna do it oh, well you should and and i i have not read war and peace but it is i think it's on the list it's something that i feel like i need to to try to tackle one of these days i will say the best book that i read in 2019 was uh, lincoln and the bardo i really enjoyed that book a lot um, it's George Saunders kind of meditation on death and, and, you know, regret and guilt and things like that. And it's, you know, it's, it involves Abraham Lincoln and his, his son who died during the civil war. And mm. it's just a really great book. It, it, it's kind of difficult to explain essentially, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln's son is stuck in this limbo between life and death. And he's kind of confined to this cemetery and he meets all of these ghosts. And it's just, it's a really, really cool book in a lot of different ways it's kind of written as a script so it's a really easy read i really recommend people pick it up um and it's funny too and it's 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 funny it's scary it's got a lot of really great elements to it one book that i just bought that i really am excited to get into is um the death and life of the great lakes Hmm. uh by a guy named dan egan i look i am unabashedly like a big time environmental kind of guy i i just think it's a huge issue and i you know when ohio which has so many awesome things about it, I think, yeah. geographically and things to learn from. We've got one of the largest lakes in the entire planet right at our doorstep. To me, it's kind of a crime that we we don't treat it as this unbelievably beautiful gift that it is. And so to me, preservation of that resource is really, really, really important. And I'm excited to read about, you know, obviously the things that are impacting the Great Lakes, but also what people are trying to do to preserve them and save them. And I got to tell you something, man, you know, people talk about, ah, Michigan sucks. I'll never go to Michigan. Lake Michigan is beautiful. It is, it is truly a miracle to see that thing on a warm, sunny day and look out to the expanse of it. And it's, it's for the most part, it's a very clean lake. Um, And I, I want Ohio to have that. I want Ohio to have that with Lake Erie. Now Lake Erie is difficult because it's incredibly shallow. Um, and obviously it's got a lot of runoff and things going into it and that makes it difficult to manage. But I I think that as a state, we can achieve that. And I want to achieve that. And I'm excited to read a book that's about that. I mean, it's okay that you shouted out Lake Michigan. I mean, it kind of fits with the old saying, I always heard that the best part of Michigan's underwater. (laughs) Right. So so see, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kick-ass. My, uh, my wife and I went to the sleeping bear sand dunes, um, a few years ago and it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's really incredible that something that mind bendingly weird and and geographically unique is, is so close to where we're at. So, um, yeah, I want, I want Ohio to have that. I want us to have that kind of experience with our great lakes. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's an important, that's an important goal, right? Like there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong. I mean, in fact, we should say this is important and and how do we figure it out? It's a challenging, it's a challenging thing, you know, so my background's in agriculture and, sure. uh, this is a, this is an issue that our industry has been struggling with, uh, you know, what is the role that agriculture plays in the, the health, not just of Lake Erie, but, uh, you know, all right. of our, our fresh water in the state and, and water quality is really important to, agriculture you got to have water to grow things so that's right uh but it, it's a challenge so i'm i'm i'll be looking forward to your book report professor 
Well, and also say one nice thing, if you want to have some, you know, positive uplifting, I, I think the past two administrations, you know, uh, gubernatorial <laughs> administrations have been pretty good about so like trying to be proactive about that. So hopefully yeah. they're able to, to get some things done. Um, all right. So last thing here, I got to mention, Andrew, <laughs> is that you, you, I've been, I've been really kind of like screwing up your title, this entire dubcast. You're not just Andy Vance, right? Like, you know, 11 Warriors, Bon Vivant. You're, you're King Andy, right? You are the king of house money. You know <laughs> how to place bets. You know how to like make moves. You dominated our house money series. And I just want to shout you out for kicking the crap out of everybody else on the staff who participated in that by a pretty good margin, frankly. Um, so I just, I, do you have, do you have any bits of advice, any words of wisdom um, that we can learn from, from clearly the best pro- prognosticator in, in all of college football? So the biggest the biggest takeaways and, and my improvement this season was huge over last season. So last season, my final, uh, I finished after bowl week or after championship week at 53.3%. Definitely was not the best. I'd have to go back and look and see who had the best, but I keep my spreadsheets of all of my picks and, and kind of have them color coded so I can see picks I missed, picks I, um, picks I hit. So last week, uh, last year, rather last season, I had my best week was nine and one. And that was in week two. I never, I, I never had a week, uh, still to this day, I haven't had a week where I hit all 10 for 10. Um, my worst week last season, I think I had one that was like maybe an eight and two, several seven and threes. But the bigger problem I saw last season, when I picked, I had far too many weeks that were five and five or, or maybe four and six or six and four, way too many of those to do better than 53.3%. Now, that said, you know, you get into the mid fifties, that's, that's usually pretty good. So my yeah, final, yeah, final this season was at, right at 60%. Um, 28 games over 500, dude. Like that's, that's a hell of a record. Yeah. And I, I, I go a little more in depth in my own spreadsheet than what we do in the, um, in the series. Cause I, I count those um, push games. So I actually had three pushes by my estimation. So I didn't, my official percentage in my spreadsheet was 59 and a half percent. We called it 60%. 60%. On the site. It's 60%. It's 60%. Um, so I, you know, again, I look and I say, okay, my best week I had, I had one. Did I have two weeks that were nine and one? I had one week. I think that was nine and one. Um, I had several eight and two weeks, but the last three weeks of the season were four weeks of the season were really tough. I went four five and one in week 12, uh, went two and eight in week 14. I mean, I thought Ramsey was probably going to catch me because week 14 was my Waterloo. Um, right. And then I only went three and four in championship week. All right, my tips. Here are my tips. One, um, figure out what your system is, whatever your system is going to be. You you want to stay consistent with your methodology. So for example, um, I talk about SP plus um, on this podcast quite a bit because that's, the, that's a system I use to inform my picks throughout the season. That's uh, that's a data point, but I use it consistently. So what you don't want to do is get four weeks into the season and be like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I, I'm not real happy. I had a two and eight week as I did in week three. Um, this isn't going well. I need to just totally torpedo things. You know, at week three, I was at 45% on the season. Um, and then after that, you know, Gotta things believe. really turned around for me. So you can't, you can't be too, you know, jumpy because weeks nine, 10, 11, you know, I had a string of nine and one and eight and two. We had four weeks in a row 
where I went eight and two or better. And that's really when I won the season was really between week eight and week 11. There you um, go. So you've got to pick a system and stick with it. I think understand why you're making your picks. The other part of it too, I would have done even better if I had stuck with my system with regard to Ohio state. So right. toward the end of the season, I said it on the show a couple of times, Ohio state will cover any line. And I just reflexively then those last like three or four weeks of the season picked Ohio state to cover. Well, guess when they didn't cover was those last three or four weeks of the season. So, you know, Ohio state cost me a few percentage points. Um, let's see, they didn't cover in the, in the big 10 championship game, didn't cover week 13, didn't cover week 12. So there were three out of four weeks that I just picked them to cover, even when the data said I shouldn't. Right. <laughs> so so that's, that, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, Cause that's your system. That's, right. That's and it system. clearly worked. Right. Like that's the thing. And look, you know, as a group, still, I think 54%, right. For the entire yeah, thing. It's pretty incredible. Um, you know, let me put it this way. First of all, you, I must bow down to your, your obvious, you know, skill with all of this, but Hey, even for those who didn't, you know, come out on top, who, who weren't able to best Andy, just know that you're all still better than Clay Travis. Yes. Except, except Kevin, Kevin's not better than Clay Travis, but everybody else. <laughs> Congratulations. So, uh, well done you, Andy, that that's really incredible. And, thank you, uh, thank you, thank you. you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm honored to be able to share this podcast space. It's one so, of my favorite series that we have my two favorite series during the fall, uh, threat level, Michigan and house money. I just love <laughs> those two series. You know, when, when, when we retired the uh, $10,000 presidential power parlay for oh, fans of the site, who been around, man. that was my favorite, favorite, still to this day, maybe the yeah. favorite long running season series that the site has ever done. But absent that, Threat Level Michigan and and House Money. I just that's appointment reading for me every week. And uh, I'm Warren I very G. Much Harding, yeah, that. Warren G. Harding's looking down on you from heaven and just yeah. like you got a little tear in his eyes. He's like, yeah, man, I freaking uh, love that dude. I love yeah. that dude. Love Andy Van. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, good times. All right. Well, congratulations to you. Thanks, and, brother. And congratulations to everyone who listened to this. This is a really good podcast. I'm I'm proud of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so Hit it we'll, the park uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And talk to you later.